This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, there is a significant problem in the U.S. of people not claiming the benefits that they're eligible for, a so-called participation gap. And in many cases, claiming these benefits could help improve things like reducing poverty, childhood hunger, education, as well as physical or mental illness, according to a new report. Part of this gap may be linked to the understanding that these benefits do, in fact, belong to the people who are eligible for them. And being able to improve that belief could lead to better adoption of the benefits as well as better outcomes overall. Wendy De La Rosa is assistant professor of marketing at the Wharton School. She and a group of colleagues have taken a deeper look into this in that new report, and she joins us to discuss what they found. Wendy, thanks for a few moments. Happy to be here, Dan. Thank you. So this participation gap of of which you speak in this uh, paper, how much of a concern is it right now? Well, it's been a consistent concern for at least a decade or so. And what we're talking about is the fact that we have millions of people, sadly, in the United States who are living below poverty wages or eligible for a whole bunch of government benefits that we already have into law, including the earned income tax credit. And for years, approximately 20% of people who are eligible to receive the earned income tax credit, meaning these are working families, because you have to work in order to be eligible for this, with children, are not claiming, you know, the three to $5,000 that they will be eligible for, for the earned income tax credit, right? And so you think about those families and what they would what they would do with that extra money. And so we were trying to tackle this problem to say, look, this is not just a problem with the earned income tax credit. When you look at SNAP, formerly known as food stamps, mm-hmm. in California, 30% of families who are eligible to receive food stamps don't apply. This is a serious problem in the United States because ultimately we don't want there to be suffering amongst our, our citizens. So it sounds like in in reading through the report uh, that there may be a, a couple of different angles for this. One being on something like maybe the the EITC that maybe some people don't know that they qualify for it, or also in the case of some of the other benefits that are out there like SNAP that maybe they don't want to take it because they feel like you know they don't want to be beholden on on government programs. So there's a number of reasons why this is. One, awareness, as you mentioned, is definitely a factor. Um, Two, it is just really hard to apply for these programs, right? In a standard SNAP application, for example, it could take somebody upwards of 32 hours to go through the whole process. And so there's just a lot of broken pieces to the funnel. But if you just think about the economic impact payment, which is one of the benefits we looked at, You know, we had about 9 million people months after who had still not received their first wave of the stimulus checks, sacrificing roughly $11 billion. And part of that is because, you know, that those funds weren't given automatically. People had to take an action and take a step in order to do that. And so that's where I think behavioral science comes into play. It's not just stigma, right? We know that we're motivated we, we always have the intention to do something, right? We all have the intention, for example, to lose weight, 
We have the intention right. to stop smoking. We have the intention to do all of these great things, but the follow-through is really hard. And so what we were looking at is could we potentially change people's level of interest in claiming these benefits by changing their sense of psychological ownership. So take us through a, a little bit of the uh, of the research that you did here. And uh, and are we starting to see, uh, you know, uh, efforts being made to try and close some of these gaps? We are. We are. And so what we did, as I mentioned, is we really focus on this one psychological concept called psychological ownership, which is the sense to which something feels like it belongs to you. Right. Many of us uh, have a sense of ownership over our home. And yes, we have a legal ownership over that. So think about your college or your university. Right? To some degree, I feel like Penn, yeah, I own a little bit of Penn, even though yeah, I have no legal right to it. This is a type of uh, psychological concept that's been around for decades, showing that people feel a sense of ownership over ideas, organizations, even people. And recent research has shown that people can even feel a sense of psychological ownership over, over debt. And my colleagues, Steph Tully and Isha Sharma, were instrumental in sort of showing that. What we did was we manipulated messages that people received in trying to get them to think about these benefits as theirs. Right? And so in some of our messages, we said, hey, you might be eligible for this benefit. Apply here. In another condition, in our experimental conditions, we said, hey, you have this benefit that belongs to you. Click here to claim what's yours. All of a sudden, right, we know that people don't like asking for help. It makes us feel less efficacious. We don't feel autonomous when we ask for help, right? There's this general aversion to seeking assistance. But when I feel like I'm claiming something that's mine, I don't feel like I'm asking for help. And so the action feels slightly better to take. Of course, I'm going to claim something that's mine. I'm not asking anybody for help. And that, we saw, had huge impact in terms of people's likelihood of starting to claim their benefits. So in many cases, it's the messaging that is being sent out that is part of the barrier here. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we, you know as much as anybody, language matters. Right? I wouldn't be a marketer if I didn't believe that language matters. We have a whole field at our business school where we understand fundamentally that how we communicate about something really drives behavior. And so as marketers, one of, the, one of the big pieces that we know is that if there's a problem, one of the first things we look at is, well, how is it being communicated? And is that communication truly resonating with the needs of the underlying consumer, in this case, uh, applicants to government benefits. How does the individual themselves then kind of change their mindset ar- ar- around this idea of psychological ownership? Because as you said, to a degree, we don't want to rely on the government. Uh, it, it, it's one thing to, you know, to get that message in and, and say, hey, you may have this available to you. It's another thing to, to actually take the step and go forward. Right, right. And, you know, I would, I would sort of push back a little bit to say, you know, at the end of the day, this is sort of a, a large topic of conversation of what is the role of government. And at its core, the role of government is to take care of citizens. And so I don't think about people relying on government when, you know, they're in the middle of a pandemic, have lost all sorts of income, and are just waiting for their stimulus check. 
right? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily view that as relying. I think that's sort of the responsibility of government. Now, sure. to your question about how does that change people's psyche, well, once you start to feel ownership over a target, right, then you start to have more agency over it. Like, of course I'm going to be able to start applying for this. Of course I'm going to click through and learn more because it's something that already belongs to me. And because it already belongs to me, I should have it. And so the way in which we change that language, the way in which we reframe uh, how we talk about government benefits, I think it's an important question that, as a society, we should start to think about. What do you think, then, is the takeaway from the work that you did here, you and your colleagues did, when you're talking about the future here? And, and part of that, I guess, it goes back to what we said at the top about improving outcomes in a lot of different areas. That's, uh, that's a great point. Well, I think first, as you mentioned at the top, it's recognizing that government benefits have such a positive ROI. Receiving government benefits have been shown to reduce poverty, childhood hunger, close educational gaps, reduce mental illness, improve physical wellness. It's one of these tools that I think are often overlooked in terms of interventions. And so we're at this junction, I think, as a country where we are facing a massive income inequality, an increase in poverty, an increase in childhood hunger. And so how can we help address that? Well, now we have this new intervention of helping people apply for the government benefits that they are already eligible for by changing the language. And so the next step forward is that I would encourage local leaders, state and local governments, even the federal government, to start to rethink their framing over the government benefits that they are providing. I mean, you know, just look at Congress, where we're discussing a new $3.5 trillion package, and with it, comes an expansion of the safety net. And I think when we're talking about expanding the safety net, we have to also talk about making the safety net more efficient. Right? It doesn't help anybody to have all this money sitting out there if the people who need it can get access to it. Wendy, thanks very much for your time today. Great work by you and your colleagues. Thank you for uh, speaking about it. Always a pleasure, Dan. Happy to chat. Thank you. Wendy De La Rosa, Assistant Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.